Well, the goal is to get President Biden to declare a climate emergency, which will free up some federal funding to stop, um, well, to advance renewables development. And then there's some kind of like secondary and tertiary demands that are focused around getting him to stop um, like all fossil fuel leasing projects and onshore and offshore drilling. So I can put our website in the chat that has the demands. That's Britain Fuller Becker, who is orchestrating a recent meeting of People versus Fossil Fuels, which is affiliated with the Brooklyn350.org. And it is to Bryn, to whom I owe a huge apology, for not mentioning that I was intended to record a small piece for this podcast. Bryn appeared to be orchestrating the recent meeting of People versus Fossil Fuels, and so appeared to be the best person to ask. What were the goals of the organisation? What did it hope to achieve? Welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. I am your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. It was almost by accident that I became involved with the Brooklyn branch of People versus Fossil Fuels. I've been to two meetings now and so, in a strange way, I'm a sort of a de facto member. I've been to two of their meetings, although I haven't sat through them entirely. But I was really keen to see what people on the other side of the world were doing practically, what they were doing to contain the fossil fuel blight. It quickly became obvious to me that people in America, particularly the Brooklyn branch of People vs. Fossil Fuels, are deeply concerned about the damage fossil fuels are causing to our atmosphere. It says on the opening page, it's time to end fossil fuels. It's now or never, and we are choosing to fight with everything we've got. Join us. You'll find a link to the People vs. Fossil Fuels website in the show notes. And now we shift to the New York Times, where we have an opinion piece by Paul Krugman. The headline for the story is, The Promise and Peril of Biden's Climate Policy. Krugman's story begins. In 2010, at the signing ceremony for the Affordable Care Act, Joe Biden, the vice president at the time, could be overheard telling President Barack Obama that this is a big something deal. Okay, that's almost what he said, and he was right. And now, as president himself, Biden has presided over three big deals after several years during which its infrastructure week became a punchline. He passed a major infrastructure bill. He pushed through legislation to promote U.S. production of sophisticated semiconductors. And most important, Congress enacted the Inflation Reduction Act, which despite its name, is mainly a climate bill. We're finally taking serious action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And from Drilled, we find the story, The Cop City Battle is a Climate Fight. The story begins, The Battle Over Cop City a massive 90 million police training facility that would require raising 58 acres of Wellanee Forest, also known as South River Forest, south of Atlanta, turned deadly in January when a Georgia state trooper shot and killed one of the activists defending the forest, 20-year-old Manuel Esteban Pais Tiran, who went by Torgetia. It's the latest in an increasingly aggressive standoff between police and land defenders, one that the fossil fuel industry has been, well, fueling for years now. 
And from the Independent we hear, India braces for another heat wave amid concerns over wheat exports. The story begins. India is set to face another heat wave this year after record-breaking temperatures in 2022, raising concerns not just about the country's preparedness to tackle climate weather, but also the global implications for wheat crops and energy supplies. India's weather office raised an alert on Tuesday, warning that the country would likely experience heat waves between March and May this year, after recording its hottest February since records began in 1901. Now from the conversation, we have the story with the headline, A History of Zambia's Green Policies Shows Why the Environment and Development Must Go Hand in Hand. The story begins. Climate change and environmental policy measures have become a central part of planning for sustainable development and avoiding crises such as food and water insecurity. Because going green is such an urgent issue now, some people may think it's a newcomer to policy agendas. This may seem especially likely in developing countries where other challenges have long called for attention. For my PhD research, I've been exploring the history of climate-related policies and interventions in Zambia since independence. I looked at when and how environmental issues became part of Zambia's development planning. My aim was to extract lessons about what works and what doesn't to inform future development planning and climate change responses. Next, we have a weekend essay from the Financial Times, and it's written by Peter Frankopan, and carries the headline, Apocalypse Then, Lessons from History in Tackling Climate Shocks. His story begins, Three things exercise a constant influence over the minds of men, wrote Voltaire in the mid-18th century, climate, government, and religion. The latter two would take no young historian by surprise. Classic topics in almost any essay question. Climate, on the other hand, might seem a curious addition to Voltaire's list, given that we tend to think of climate change as a modern preoccupation. While the unprecedented speed of change in the contemporary world is remarkable, so too is the fact that the acceleration is primarily due to human behaviour and consumption patterns. Without further action to reduce greenhouse gases, there will soon be more carbon in the atmosphere and has been for millions of years. We shift now to a story from World Resources Institute, for a story that has the headline, To shift away from oil and gas, developing countries need a just transition project to protect workers and communities. The story begins. The phase, major oil and gas producer, may conjure images of oil and gas wells in Texas or Saudi Arabia. However, about half the world's oil and gas is produced by middle-income developing countries, which the World Bank defines as those with annual per capita gross national income between $1,036 and $12,535. These nations are economically dependent on the highly volatile prices of oil and gas, but have fewer resources than rich countries to deal with the global transition away from fossil fuels that will help prevent the most dangerous impacts of climate change. Next we have a story from Micro Mobility Report. The headline for the story is written by Scott Green. 26.7 million injection as Acromoto resumes production. A company at the forefront of light electric vehicle production, US operate Acromoto, has enjoyed a positive breakthrough amid challenges. It has accrued a total of US 18 million 
That's Australian $26.71 million in funding during the past two months and last week began its production for 2023. Acromoto recorded a net loss of approximately US $17 million. That's Australian $25.28 million in the third quarter of 2022 compared with a net loss of US $11.5 million, Australian $16.89 million in the corresponding period in 2021. Next, we have the opportunity to read a story on the conversation by Monash University PhD candidate Craig Stanbury. The headline for Craig's story is Thinking of having a baby as the planet collapses? First, ask yourself five big ethical questions. Craig's story begins. Do you want to have a baby? But on a planet rocked by the climate crisis, ecosystem collapse, Famine and poverty is having one just adding to the problem and therefore unethical. I'm a PhD candidate at Monash Biotechnic Centre and I research the ethics of procreation in a time of climate change. I've found there is no simple yes or no answer as to whether you should produce more children when Earth is in such dire straits. People who want to have children are faced with the dilemma. Creating a child who will be responsible for high emissions over their lifetime requires others to stay in poverty if the planet is to operate within its physical limits. This, it can easily be argued, furthers injustice and inequality. From Climate Home News, we have a story by Joe Lowe. Well, the story has the headline, US backs AJ Banger to lead World Bank in climate fight. The story begins. The U.S. government has nominated Indian-American businessman A.J. Banger to lead the World Bank, citing his experience in mobilizing finance to tackle climate change. President Joe Biden said the former MasterCard executive has critical experience mobilizing public-private resources to tackle the most urgent challenges of our time, including climate change. You'll find links to all those stories mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Now we've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thank you so much for your company. It's been great to have you on board. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with your friends. In fact, I'd love you to share it with your friends, as we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis. So until next time, I urge you all to take care.